may be seated and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at 27 through 30. We are in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll read the text here and then we'll dig in. It's good to be back with you uh, today. It's always nice to travel and get to see grandkids, and uh, I'm grateful for those opportunities. And it's always good to get to worship with people in other places. I'm, I'm grateful for those opportunities, too. But it's always good to be back home and to be with those who God has called me to walk this narrow way with. <clears throat> and I'm grateful for that. So beginning in uh, verse 27 in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, You shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. That was the last message. Today we'll look at the next two verses. And if your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offend you, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. Let us pray. Father, we come one more time, Lord, just asking for your help. We can do nothing, Lord, without your help and assistance. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would bless the words today. Holy Spirit, I pray you would take the words and apply them to the hearts as needed to the various things that are going on and everyone that is present here or, or possibly listening. Above all, Lord Jesus, I, I pray that we would be enabled today to love you even more and that we would cut off and pluck out those things that are getting between us loving you as we ought to. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have that took place about 2,000 years ago. This King of Kings and Lord of Lords came to the earth. The one that was promised from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 came and took upon himself the seed of Abraham and took upon himself a body. And the very eternally begotten Son of God became a man and he grew up in a family, in a real town, son of a carpenter. And this carpenter was more than he seemed. He was the Lord of all. And he came and he was baptized. And he began performing miracles. He began preaching the same thing John the Baptist preached. Repent for the kingdom of hand is near. It's here now. And he continues to do this work today. Even though he preached this sermon 2,000 years ago. The sermon continues to be preached by the power of the Holy Spirit and gifts that He has given so that all of those who know Christ would continue to be built up and taught about eternal life and about eternal death. And today we come to this portion of Scripture here as we're looking at adultery. Uh, we must remember where the Lord began this sermon we have to remember he started by pronouncing blessings on those that are in the kingdom. 
Blessed are. Blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the hungering and thirsting. The peacemakers. Those who are persecuted. He pronounced blessings on those. So those that are born of the Spirit who are in the kingdom now that is being built around the world. We don't see that on the evening news. But it's going on. It's going on in your heart right now. If you're in Christ through this message and this worship service, He is working in you to prepare you for the final consummation of this kingdom. And so for those that are Blessed that are in this state of grace, he gives us some very severe commands, doesn't he? And he does this so that we might prove our love. So we will title this today, Proving Our Love. There is hope for anyone to change, to repent, and to cast themselves upon, who cast themselves upon Christ. There's hope for anyone who has committed the worst of sins. Because one stands before you like that, that God has forgiven. Christ uses the most severe warnings to His children who obey Him to keep them from hell. One of the things that we have talked about and we recognize in the great commandment God has commanded us to love Him with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, is that God made us lovers. We're made in God's image, and God is love, and you have a great capacity to love. The desire that comes out of our heart is a desire for love, fundamentally. And when sin came into the world, this is what became distorted. Is that desire became perverted and diluted. When it was removed from the perfect object, it was designed to love to lesser things. When we believed the lie. And so the Lord Jesus Christ... Through regeneration and preaching and sanctification and Christian fellowship and through harsh rebukes is restoring us to the place where we can love the way we ought to love. And he gives us these severe warnings to keep us from things that will get in the way of that love. There's one pastor who said that God threatens terrible things to those who will not be happy in Him. You think about that? God threatens terrible things to people who will not be happy in Him, which means those who don't love Him. And he takes that from Deuteronomy 28. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. For the abundance of all things... That he's given you. Therefore you shall serve your enemies. And the Lord shall send against you. Isn't that something? God wants you to be happy. But whenever you say. 
Perfection? No. I can find something better somewhere else. You're spitting in the face of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart is a single heart. And He's restoring our heart to be like that. We know it's not there yet. And we know this is the wrestling and the fight of faith weekly is for a pure heart. A pure heart is a single heart. And a heart that is a divided heart is a heart that is deluded, which means it's a heart that's adulterated. And the final manifestation of spiritual heart adultery works its way out in actual physical adultery. And last time we looked at that, how adultery is not just the outward act. Just like anger, angry words, is not just an, you know, the outward act. It starts in the heart, for it's out of the heart proceeds adulteries, fornications, and evil speakings. And so there is, there is an outward act of adultery, but it begins in the heart. And in the Old Testament, we looked last time and we saw that God accused Israel of committing adultery when they worshipped other gods than Him. And see, that's where it begins. Where the heart that's not singular toward Him, pure single focus of loving Him with all of our heart, becomes diluted. That's adultery. And that can happen to anybody as we love something more than Him. And there was an old saint that said, you know, we, we should love everything for God's sake. And so as we enjoy life and pleasures and the good things he's given us, we love them for his sake. And we keep him at the top and we thank him for all of those blessings. So you were made in the image of God to be a lover of him, the most glorious and beautiful of all beings. That we could ever imagine. And he is restoring us to be able to do that. Brothers and sisters, grace is not a cheap grace. We live in a world that sells a cheap grace that can be obtained by the simple walking of an aisle and reciting of a prayer. Now I know there's many who do that who are really born again. I know many. But there are many who are manipulated to become members of a social organization that are not really part of the body of Christ. And that is seen in what they love and what the chief joy of their heart is, the fruits that come out of their life. These are those like Paul talked about in 2 Timothy 3 where he says they have a form of godliness on the outside. They go to church. They profess Christ. They have a profession of faith. They even do good works. They do all of these things. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And he said, turn away from them. You see, Paul in 2 Timothy there in chapter 3, he's expositing the Sermon on the Mount because Christ said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what does Christ say? The Pharisees did all the outward stuff, but inside, what did he say about them? They're full of dead men's bones. They weren't full of the love of God. They weren't full of righteousness and holiness, which we receive by faith in Christ. So that righteousness that exceeds is the righteousness Christ is telling us about. And that righteousness exceeds, it's not just merely not doing outward adultery. It's about having your heart pure. 
And so we pursue Christ with a singular passion. Today we look at how the believer makes Christ look valuable to everybody else in the world by putting to death sin in our life. There is a magnificent pleasure in Christ that will drive out the lying, sinful pleasures of this present darkness. There is a magnificent pleasure in Christ that will drive out all the lying, sinful pleasures in this present darkness. And if thy right eye offends thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Our first point today is stumbling. Stumbling. He says here, And if thy right eye offends thee, thy right hand offends thee. That word there, offend, is the same word we've read in other places. It means stumbling block. Stumbling stone, it's the word scandal. And so he says here, and if, and if thy right hand or thy right eye offends thee, cut it off. So we have to think about here, what are the and ifs that you deal with in your life? You have to know the enemy. You have to know your own besetting sin. Uh, one of the prophets in the Old Testament said, everyone needs to know the plague of their own heart. So what is that for you? The right eye or the right hand was that which was considered to be the most precious. As Christ is on the right hand of God and is the most precious. The eye is that which we are enabled to be able to see beauty in the world, particularly the beauty of God's creation, so we can be drawn to worship Him. But this eye, because of the sin that so easily besets us, can entrap us and use this gift of sight in the wrong way. That would be stumbling or offending or causing a scandal to your soul. Possibly your life, possibly your family. And so he says, Thy right eye. The laboring class that Jesus was speaking to used their right hands to work. And so when Christ says, Pluck out your eye or cut your hand off, that was pretty scandalous in itself. Well, how can I work? How could I provide for my family? So he's working here with some extreme declarations to get our attention does he have your attention we must take great care with our eyes and our hands there's nothing more deceitful about sin particularly in the age we live which is a we the atmosphere we breathe every day in american media is godless you know, the best family movies have no God. Many of them are filled with, many of them, not all of them, many of them are filled with a humanistic worldview where man or woman pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps and, ends with, and the whole thing ends with a marriage, right? 
uh, and yet, and yet we live in this God-denying error, and this can lead us to think that what we put in front of our eyes and what we do with our hands is not important. And so he says, if your eye or your hand is offending you, we have to cut it off, brothers and sisters. Think about, for example, David in 2 Samuel 11.2 came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And so we're commanded here to forbid anything that might move us in the direction of of adultery. David had to get out of his bed and go look off the top of the housetop. It's a lot easier today. And then he moved toward that object. He became deceived through the beauty of what came to his eye because he was lazy laying in bed in the middle of the day. He wasn't out fighting and doing his work like he should. He was entrapped through the eye. Is there anything that's trapping you with your eyes? I was reading this week about uh, the science of advertisements. It depends on the ad, but they have measured this. I don't know how they did this, honestly. So, I, but They say within 250 milliseconds, your brain absorbs visual clues. In 13 milliseconds, images elicit emotion even if you're not fully absorbing what you are seeing. 90% of your brain's sensory processing is visual. Brothers and sisters, you know what really what AI is about is predicting behavior. Do you know that the search engines and a lot of AI can predict what's going to be said and what needs to be said based upon what they know people are looking at? They can predict what you're going to buy if they can get enough imprints in your brain off of an ad. So is it important that we be careful with our eyes? I don't think you as believers are the the average person who's consuming seven to, eight, seven to eight hours a day of media. But people essentially, we're like the Pied Pipers. The Pied Pipers is leading us through this beautiful organ God gave us to be able to see the beauty of creation, the beauty of each other, to be able to see the beauty so that we might be inspired to worship Him. That's being manipulated and used against us, particularly the enemy of our souls. So how we use our eyes is a glorious and a dangerous business, isn't it? And so our eyes need to be in this word of truth. I've talked before about you how there is something wonderful that takes place as your eye sees word and reads. It's one of the most joyful things is to read. 
And we need to be in the word of truth. And we need to be not imprinting ads and other things, but imprinting the word of God in our mind. We need to be learning to think God's thoughts after him. We need to be careful with these eyes and with these hands. Because as James tells us in 115, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So what are the things, what are the things that cause us to stumble into sin, and particularly sexual sin? How we use our eyes, which can lead from looking, can lead to touching in ways we shouldn't. How we do that reflects what that single driving passion of your heart is. Because the believer will not let anything come between them and the pleasure of fellowship with Jesus. And so now we move to our second point, which is the imperative verbs that are in these two statements. And if thy right eye offends thee, pluck it out. And if thy right hand offends thee, cut it off. So pluck it out, cut it off are commands that are coming from your Lord. This is known in Christian theology as the doctrine of mortification. Mortification is just killing. John Owen has the great quote, you either kill sin or sin will be killing you. That's the life of the believer daily. Daily. We must be killing sin or it will be killing us. We must do whatever it takes. Those that are in the blessed state that Jesus pronounced. And that word blessed, I just remind you again, makarios means happy. That's the happy place. And if you have any happy places in this world, those happy places need to be in subjection to this place. And if there are things you enjoy doing in this life, it can't get in the way of this or it must be cut off. Jesus Christ is of purer eyes than to behold evil. You cannot enjoy the joy and peace of life in Christ apart from killing sin. Also called killing your old man, the old nature, the Adamic nature. This is a severe operation that is described by the great physician of our souls to the saving of our souls. Our right hands, right eyes are precious and they must be cut off. We must obey him in this. The degree to which we do this is the degree to which you will enjoy peace in Christ. You, under, you hear what I'm saying? It's possible to be disobedient, believer, and, and not be diligent in this. But I'm telling you, if you're not diligent in this, it will cost you joy and peace and pleasure of fellowship with Christ. Mm-hmm. If you're in a place right now where you're not having much joy and peace and fellowship with Christ, then I ask you, what needs to change? What needs to be cut off and plucked out. We know this is a spiritual exercise that he's not telling us to literally pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands. 
If that was so, we'd, it'd be easy to tell who all the Christians were, right? We'd all be one-eyed and one-handed. Because the believers will do this to some degree or another. If not, we're like the Pharisees. We don't have the righteousness that exceeds. The pure in heart see God. The poor in heart have the kingdom of God. They understand that the poison of lust is incompatible with joyful communion with Christ. Those hungering and thirsting after righteousness, not sex or not something else, are filled with a better joy. I was reading a little bit this week in a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection by, I think it's Joseph Chambers. I may have the first name wrong there. But it's 1800 sermon. It's one of those sermons that's like trying to eat a 72 ounce steak. But you know, you can grab just a sentence out of that. The title is all you need. The expulsive power of a new affection. We've got this heart designed to love God. Sin has caused us to focus that where it shouldn't be. When you're born again, and that love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, Romans 5, this new affection is born that expulses, drives out every other love. Hallelujah! Isn't that great? Because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't do it. We would be satisfied with sin. Praise be to God, there are means of grace that He has given us to do this difficult work without actually having to cut off our hands or pluck out our eyes. And the main one that He's given to us is the Holy Spirit. How could we not be successful in this if not for the indwelling earnest of the Spirit, the down payment from the Trinity on high that He's given us? One third of the Trinity to dwell in us as a down payment so that God comes to claim you, he doesn't lose his earnest money. Praise God, hallelujah. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So we got all the help we need. We got the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? We do this through the Spirit. What would that look like? Well, if someone is struggling with uh, buying things you don't need. I'll use this for an example. And uh, you have a tendency to rack up credit card debt. And it's causing problems at home. The first thing you need to do is get that, memorize that verse right there. Lord, help me mortify this covetous sin that I have in my heart. And get in your closet, you memorize that text. Get a brother or sister that you love and trust in the church and tell them about it and ask them to pray with you over it. Cry out to God to help you with that. And then you cut up the credit card, cut it off. Or if you need to keep it, put it in a can coffee can in the freezer and freeze it with ice in it so you can't get to it except in emergencies and get some help because we can't do this alone. That's why God gave you each other in this body of believers that all the body fitly joined together 
might be affecting this work of mortification together so that we can live. And, and I, I need to also mention this doctrine of mortification, of killing sin, always goes hand in hand with what's known as the Christian doctrine of vivification, which is making alive. So we kill so that we can increase life in the spirit. If you had a child that grew up and then became addicted to drugs and they were still living at home and the drug dealer was coming to your door every day and delivering drugs to your child, would you allow that con to continue? If you found out that you had cancer and you got some kids you'd like to see grow up, wouldn't you poison it out, cut it out, burn it out, do whatever it took, change your diet, fast, pray, do whatever you could that you might live to see those kids grow up? What if you had a person that had the highest IQ you could think of? And that person was trained in all the details of war. That person was trained in guerrilla warfare, propaganda, how to lie. They were trained how to fight in the woods, in the mountain. They had their physical ability. They had such a stamina that they could go for hours without eating. They could fight. And they knew how to use a knife, a gun, a bow. They knew how to use explosives. They knew how to use drones and attach microphones to it so they could find out everything about you. And they were coming to your house and they were going to attack your family and your marriage and your neighborhood. And they had all this training and everything they needed to come in to attack you. What would it take for you to defend yourself? What would it take? Well, that's exactly what you're up against. It's called sin. What does it say about sin in the scriptures? Sin is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And deceit, let me just remind you, deceit, deceive, means if that's happening to you, you don't know it. We see in Romans 1 that this sin that comes in where we reject God and His Word and don't listen to Him and obey Him, that it has a hardening effect over time. Hardening, and he turns them over to sexual sin. Hardening, he turns them over to homosexual sins. Hardening, he turns them over to a reprobate mind and every form of wickedness in Romans chapter 1. Sin is deceitful. Our supreme commander has appointed us the means on how to be victorious in this fight and this battle by giving us the Holy Spirit and the word and each other. And we will be victorious. And there will be some times. Whenever we will get caught in a battle. And we'll get flipped over on our back. But just like. The marines and the navy seals never leave. One of their brothers on the battlefield. Our big brother will never leave you laying there. He will rescue you. Get you back up. Heal you and clean you up. So you can continue the fight of faith. Our Supreme Commander has appointed three strategy meetings a week here for you to come and to learn strategy on how to fight your sin and how to live in this present evil world. 
And so what are you cutting off? What's keeping you from being happy? What are you loving with your heart right now that's just not satisfying you? Cut it off. Pluck it out. Get refocused on He who is supremely happy, who shares His happiness with all of those who love Him. And so, brothers and sisters, we see that the eye and the hand can cause us to stumble. Those things which cause us to stumble must be cut off so that we can profit. He says here, and if the right, hand, my, the right eye offends thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. And that's repeated in verse 30. So this is the third point, profiting. So profitable means what's useful or advantageous. To promote, to advance, to grow in grace, to move in the opposite direction of the broad way and towards the glory of Christ. What is more profitable? It doesn't sound very profitable, does it? To cut off a hand or pluck out an eye? You see, sin will scream and holler. Won't it? And fireproof, that film that talks about fireproofing marriage, the guy had to, he took his monitor, his computer outside with a baseball bat, destroyed it. You know what sin will do? Say, no, well, I need to do my banking on that. You know, well, you know, I need to do this on that. I need to do that. Well, that would be all right if that was all you was doing on there. But that man came to the point to realize the only way that he could conquer that was getting rid of it out of his life. We hadn't had this stuff about 20 years. I think they lived a long time before all of this stuff came along. But aren't we so addicted to it? Sometimes we think we can't live without it. Well, I'll tell you, it'd be better to get rid of every computer, every screen, every listening device, everything out of our house that we think we got to have rather than go to hell. Right? So, brothers and sisters, the conditions of sin... And the strategies of sin are ingenious and we must be focused on doing what we need to do to profit. You know, if you were in the stock market and you had an investment that was going south and you'd lost $10,000, you'd sell to keep from losing $20,000 so that over time that might grow again, right? So you cut your losses so that you might grow in grace. In Mark 8, 36... For what shall it profit a man? What shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. And who are the heroes that are held up every year? When you see the newspaper article, it comes out notable deaths of 2023. It's never the poor believer in Africa who was, had their head cut off by the Muslims because they believe in Christ. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when He come in the glory of His Father with His holy angels. 
I know we got some gardeners in here. To garden, you got to prepare the ground, right? You got to dig deep into the heart. Charles Spurgeon said the Ten Commandments are the ten plows of God that plow the heart up. Then you've got to do some fertilizing. There's got to be weeding. There's got to be pruning. And then there's harvesting. But all of those things got to be done first before you reap the harvest. Brothers and sisters, to reap the harvest of joyful satisfaction in Christ, there's got to be some weeding that we are constantly having to do. You can't walk away from the garden for six weeks, right? And come back. It takes constant effort. There's nothing more precious than the garden of your soul. Your soul is going to live forever somewhere. This is hard work. Dealing with an enemy that's so close. Whenever Paul was speaking of this wrestling in Ephesians chapter 6 and putting on the armor of God, he's talking about wrestling. That idea of wrestling means the enemy is close. Because when you wrestle, you're grappling. You're in close. This is not standing back and boxing and punching. This is wrestling. Wrestling with the enemy within. Wrestling with the unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil. There's a pastor, another great title that I love. It's called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. I wish I could come up with stuff like that. So I borrow it. The dangerous duty of delight. There's a greater delight, a greater affection that will purge out these lusts that we are wrestling with daily. And you will be victorious in Christ. So what is this perishing? Our fourth point. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And that is repeated twice in verse 29 and 30. Great emphasis when Jesus repeats himself. Parents, do you all ever repeat yourself to your kids? Kids, you should be listening. Not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. The children of salvation. Are you a believer? You're here today. You profess Christ. The children of salvation must be threatened with damnation to keep them from it. Does that seem strange? It does seem strange, doesn't it? There are many warnings in the scripture. And when you look at the warning, you think, well, does that mean I can lose my salvation? If I'm not doing this? No. It's not about losing your salvation. It's about proving your salvation. Proving your love. Proving that your heart has been won by a greater joy and a greater affection. To cast. You realize that Jesus says cut your hand off and cast it or your whole body will be cast. That word cast just means to throw. It means to throw in such a manner as you don't care where it lands. I mean, it, it, it's like... It's like you can't get a spider on you, 
Girls, you ever get a spider on you and you jump, grab it, try to brush it off? We need to have that kind of reaction with sin. Oh, no! The clickbait in the page. No! I will not look at that. You're driving down the road, the, the jogger over there is going down there. No! will not look at that. Cast it. Throw it. Don't care where it lands. Matthew 3, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Jesus is saying there, that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is saying there, the axe is already right there at the root. It's right there at the root. Will you bring forth fruit? Or will you be like the fig tree that, where the master said, I'm going to fertilize that tree. I'm going to water it. I'm going to give it three years. And if it's not bringing forth fruits of righteousness, I'm going to cut it down and cast it into the fire. That, that reality is taking place right here, right now. The urgency of this is in the room, folks. If we do not respond to these words that Christ is delivering us through the power of the Spirit, will we be cut down? The children hear that warning and they say, I won't. <laughs> I'm going to change. I'm going to listen. I'm going to make a list of everything that's getting in the way of my eyes and my hands this week. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to get a brother or sister to pray with me. I'm going to take action on this. I'm going to respond to it. I'm not going to be like the man in James who goes and looks in the mirror on Sunday and says, yeah, that's right, and then go away and just forget. Forget that I'm a sinner. Forget that I'm prone to these things. Forget who my master is. Forget who my love is. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And again in Matthew 13... And he shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So you either cast away the sin and the occasions of sin in your life that are getting in the way. Or you will be cast into hell. If you be born of the Spirit, you will do this. Because you won't let anything come between you and the one you love. Right? What is it to have the whole body cast into hell? This is the Christian doctrine of resurrection. Both of the just and the unjust. Acts 24 and 15. And have hope toward God which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead both of the just and the unjust. Those some will come forth to the resurrection of life and some will come forth to the resurrection of damnation. The word body there is soma. There is going to, you're, you're going to have a body. You can't separate your spirit and your body. They're going to be united forever. And there may be a temporary separation now between that, but there is a resurrection coming. It could be soon. Every time there's a hiccup or a fire that takes place over there, in the Middle East, there's always the hucksters that come along selling books, saying this is it. Well, it could be. And, and every time we see things like that, our response is repentance 
and faith. And, and looking up, saying, come, Lord Jesus. Hell is a real place. It's taught by Christ repeatedly. It was, the word gel, hell, Marvin covered this one time, Gehenna. There was a trash pit outside Jerusalem, big trash dump that they burned the garbage there, and it was always smoking, full of worms. And Jesus would use that metaphor many different times, talking about the worm that dies not, which is your conscience in hell, fully aware of every sin you ever committed against a holy God forever and ever and ever, gnawing at you, gnawing at you, and gnawing at you. The smoke that ascends up forever. So this is a real place, a real bodily resurrection, and this hell will be cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 20. And so it's like a holding place now. And then there's going to be the resurrection of bodies. And then all of the unbelievers and the devil and his angels are all going to be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And the righteous will be resurrected to a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness forever and ever. Now these are real things, and it's hard for us as creatures of time, living in the moment, to keep our mind focused on these realities. But we must. That's why we come here every week, right? To help us. I always say we come here every week to be undeceived again. So that we might be stirred up again. And for all our affections that have leaked out this week, to pull them back in and get them refocused. So what are the things that you've plucked out of your life and have cut off to increase the life and vigor of your spiritual walk? There is a magnificent pleasure in Christ that will drive out the lying, sinful pleasures of this present darkness. There are things that cause us to stumble. We need to be aware of what that is for you and for me. There is a real thing, things that we must separate from. We cannot casually consume things. We just can't. We live in an age where we casually consume and, and there's a great pleasure in information and information and information. I, I know that. We cannot casually consume these things. We've got to have a plan of how we use these members of our body. They're not ours. We were bought with a price. This body's not mine. These eyes are not mine. This brain is not my brain. It was purchased and redeemed by Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this. Only the repentant believer can enjoy all the pleasures of this present time in Christ properly. You can. God gave us all things richly to enjoy. And by the way that we live and enjoy our pleasures will be different from others. And we will show the world that Christ is glorious and how we do that. So there's coming a day in Revelations 20. The sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
The scripture also says there will be some in the visible church. What does that mean? Everybody that attends church in any church anywhere. Scripture says there are those in those places that lived their entire life and were never part of Christ. He says he's going to send the angels and he's going to separate the wheat and the tares. He says that there's going to be many in the last day calling Christ Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. They loved their life. They loved their routines. They loved all the trappings. Baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. But they didn't love Christ. They weren't putting to death temporary things so they could obtain a better thing. But there are those that says they will overcome. Are you an overcomer today? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. He that overcomes, he will confess before his Father and his angels. He that overcomes will sit down with my Father in his throne. That's some amazing things, isn't it? Those are some wonderful things. And by the Spirit, you can taste that. And you can use those promises to fight sin. Are you an overcomer? Have you overcome the sin of heart adultery? Brothers and sisters, there is hope for anybody. There is hope for those who have failed in these areas. Even this week in Jesus Christ, if you repent of your sin and lay hold of Christ. You see, because Jesus Christ loved you, those who confess and profess and follow Him. He loved you so much. He laid His very body down to block the way to hell for you. And He loves you enough to warn you and to tell you of these things so that you might have more joy and more peace in this life and be better prepared for the world to come.